to the Giro d'Italia preview episode of the World of Sport podcast. Now, this will be a very short episode, I promise. Uh, for once, I don't have a script, at least not a full one. I, I do for a tiny bit of this episode, but seeing as this is such a short episode and the Giro d'Italia starts uh, tomorrow as of recording and probably today as of when you're listening this, supposedly you're listening uh, on the day of release, probably not. But uh, today I just want to talk about Simon Yates and Egan Bernal in a titanic duel for one of the best Giro d'Italia's I think ever this could be. Uh, Alexander Vlasov and his opportunity for GC dominance at Astana. And I go through my top five for the Giro GC. I mean, I'll be honest, this is what this isn't my least favourite grand. This is my least favourite of the three grand tours uh, in general. I just love the Vuelta, I love the energy it has, obviously the Tour de France, nothing will ever beat that in terms of sports, for me personally, uh, but I still love the Giro, I just, especially last year was fantastic, because even though being at home absolutely sucked and I hated it, at least I got to watch Teo Gegenhardt, Jai Hindley fight it out in the mountains with guys like Joe Almeida for Portugal, absolutely beasting, it was just a fantastic race, and and this year, I don't think it'll quite be the same because nothing will quite live up to that drama. Teo Gegenhart not even wearing uh, pink for, an in- for a day and still winning uh, the entire race. Just brilliant for me, winning stages. I love that race so much. But I just want to jump straight into it and talk about what I think will be one of the best two-up duels we've seen in modern, <coughs> modern Grand Tour history. It is going to be incredible. Simon Yates versus Egan Bernal. Both of these riders have had fantastic starts to the year. Simon Yates taking the tour of the Alps, doing well in the Volta Catalunya, Terreno Adriatico. He has been injured. However, he has been doing well. He did come fourth at Terreno Adriatico, third at Tour de la Provence, and he also uh, came third at Strada Bianchi uh, and second at Trofeo La Grieta. I think that's how you pronounce that, I'm not sure. Not a World Tour race, but it's a good race, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so his form's been decent. Still hasn't picked up a win uh, this year. I don't think he did during 2020. He might have picked up one. No, he did. He picked up a GC win. I can't remember what race. But uh, Egan Bernal is riding this race injured. So it will be interesting to see what he can do, considering his back, uh, which he injured during the 2020 Tour de France. It'll be interesting to see how that's feeling how much of an issue that is because it's going to be a relatively big factor over three weeks if he was going into a one-day race or a week-long race and he had a back injury i'd be like uh well he's probably not going to place well on gc but at least he'll know to get fitness but this is a free week race and ineos have a very 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 strong team we already know this so at some point i need to talk about the ineos grenadiers his squad because they are just incredible it feels like they uh uh, fill out the podium at every single notable stage race. I just love the way they ride. I love their riders. They're just fantastic. But as things go, I can pretty much only record at the weekends now, and uh, and I made the mistake of not recording too much uh, during the last holiday I had. Um, so I don't really get the opportunity to talk about the stuff that I'd like to and have my rants and my waffles. I just have to talk about some of the more interesting stuff. But I'm really glad that I get to do this episode. Anyway, uh, Egan Bernal is going to have the full support of the Ineos Grenadiers behind him because they are just incredible for this race. 
Here is their uh, starting team. Egan Bernal, their leader. Jonathan Castellaviejo, brilliant, brilliant uh, uh, domestique. Filippo Ganna, the world's best time trialist. His form has, hasn't been that great, but he may be able to do well as a, as a domestique in the mountain. An absolute powerhouse. Danny Martinez, winner of last year's Dauphiné. He's a fantastic rider. Had really, really good legs in the Tour of the Alps this year, but had to ride for his teammate, Pavel Sivakov, who's also in this race. Jenny Moscon, he's been on impeccable form, winning, I think, the first stage of the Tour of the Alps. Uh, Jonathan Narvaez, he's a decent enough rider. Uh, that's probably a bit unfair. He's quite good. Uh, I don't know a ton about him, but I know he's good. Uh, I've seen him ride before. Uh, Salvatore Puccio, we've known about him for years. Great, great cyclist. Always, always on the front. Always doing shifts. And then Pavel Sivakov will finish out the squad. That is a powerhouse. That is virtually unstoppable. If they took that race to the Tour de France, they'd be fighting for the podium. They've won the team classification just by entering. So Ega Bilal is going to have the full support of the world's best team, well, right now, behind him. Uh, and I love Castro Viejo. I think he's going to be incredible him in the mountains. And if Egan Bernal's injuries, if Egan Bernal does succumb to his injuries, uh, Danny Martinez is more than capable of taking over. Pavel Sivakov is more than capable of taking over. So I think Ineos have their options wide open. But if Egan Bernal is in his 2019 form, with this team behind him, he's ready for, uh, to lift the Giro d'Italia trophy. It'll be incredible. Uh, I love what Egan Bernal can do. I really liked him in last year's Tour de France, even before his injury eventually forced him to uh, quit the race, which was certainly, certainly a shame. It's a shame he didn't really race after that, at least not any big races, I, I think. And so we move on to where Simon Yates' team has just decided to disappear from a team bike exchange. Okay, is apparently... He's not in the... Okay, there we go. So, riding for Simon Yates is uh, his, his Giro hopes. He has Michael Hepburn, not a notable climber, really. Christopher Jules Jensen, he's not going to be there in the mountains. Tanel Kanga could. He's more of a climbing breakaway sort of rider. Cameron Mayer, uh, he's more of a sprinter as well, I'm pretty sure. Mikel Nieve, now he is going to be his right-hand man. He is going to be the man that Simon Yates is going to look to for uh, his uh, help in the mountains because after him, it's Nick Schultz and Callum Scottson. And to be frank, that just won't be good enough uh, compared to Egan Bernal's team. But Simon Yates is in the form of his life. I mean, that's probably a bit of an over-exaggeration. I think 2018 was probably better when he was 26. No, sorry, 25 maybe. But uh, it's all going to be about form. It's all all going to be about form. Because if Bernal can ride like he did during Strada Bianchi this year, I think it's Bernal's. If Simon Yates rides like he has been doing all year, it's Simon Yates's. I think, uh, especially seeing as this year's race is so difficult it's just a really really long tt mountain testers throughout the race uh which could uh favor healthy eights because simon yates isn't a notable time trialer the time trialist but he's way better than agan banal agan banal he's a great climber time trialing isn't his speciality for sure 
But for Simon Yates to need uh, to win this race, because we know Egon Bernal, he conserves energy. He only attacks when he absolutely has to. Simon Yates seriously, seriously needs to conserve his energy. Uh, Bernal has to be aggressive in this race to get past that, because he's got quite a conservative style. But Simon Yates has to ride conservatively, because on form right now, I think Simon Yates takes it. But he has to be wary of the team. He has to be wary of other riders around him. Because, you know, as much as I do think it'll be a one-for-one duel for the Giro d'Italia, I would absolutely love it to be that way. Because I think they're two great riders, two really fun to watch. There are a lot of really, really, really good riders in this race. Like Remco Ebenpol, Hugh Carthy, Pavel Sivakov, we'll get, uh, Pavel Sivakov uh, Alexander Vlasov, we'll get on into a moment. This is a really, really strong race. Not to mention Jai Hindley, last year's second place finisher. Joao Almeida even. This is a really, really strong race. And uh, uh, Dan Martin as well. Sorry, obviously this episode is very unscripted in case you couldn't tell. So some of the names slip uh, from my head. But it's going to be exciting. They're going to have to be wary of the other really good riders like Remco Evenpol. He, it'll be interesting to see what he can do in a Grand Tour, especially seeing he's had about eight months off the bike. That's no exaggeration. I think it is eight months now. I'm excited. It starts tomorrow. I absolutely can't wait to see what Simon and Egan can do versus each other. So, moving on to talk about Alexander Vlasov. I really, really, really like Alexander Vlasov. He is... See... He's very fun to watch, and, and that's what I like about him. He shows his emotions on his face. He rides really, really, really well. You know, he won. Uh, he came third in Lombardia 2020. He won a stage at Tour de Provence in 2020. Montblanc 2 Challenge. Second Paris-Nice this year. That's really good. He came third in the GC on the Tour of the Alps, which was a really, really hard race. Uh, Paris-Nice, he came second, like I mentioned. Won the youth classification, Tour de Provence, fourth on the youth classification, top 10 GC. He is a really good rider. The 25-year-old Russian, the 68-kilo man, he is absolutely fantastic. Runs out of contract this year, according to Pro Cycling Stats. It'll be interesting to see uh, if he stays with Astana. But for me, Astana only have one option in this race, and that is to ride... I like hell for this kid because he is way too talented for them to pass upon the opportunity of a Grand Tour win for this guy because on his day he can be everybody in the mountains even in the 2020 Vuelta we saw that on uh, on tie uh, uh, at his best he can beat some of the best and it's just fantastic to watch you know because his team Gorka Izaguirre and Luis de Sanchez are probably the two best riders on the team, but Luis de Sanchez is not a GC rider as good as he is, as much as we love watching him. They have to ride for Vlasov. They really do. And if they do, they can help unlock his potential. He's such a huge talent that, like I said, I find him so fun to watch. It'll be really interesting. I mean... His form in the Tour de Alps wasn't absolutely blistering, but with some more training at altitude, uh, like which I think he's done, and a completely different race course, which it is, I think he'll be good. You know, he has potential to be better than his fellow Russian Pavel Sivakov, who rides for the Ineos Grenadiers when both are all said and done with their careers. I really like Pavel Sivakov, but in case you couldn't tell, I just love watching the kid. He'll be fun to watch if he gets his chance to break free in this race. Like I said, this is unscripted, so I know I'll keep uh, repeating myself. But if he gets...
scientific and stuff with it. But uh, I have a gut feeling. And when it comes to uh, football, for example, my gut feelings are never that great. I always predict the wrong teams to win. Uh, and I can't notice incredible plays, super young talents. Uh, same goes for like American football or not basketball. For some reason, I, I even Daniel Gafford before he got traded, I knew that he'd be incredible somehow. Watch, just watching him play, I knew that he'd be really good. In cycling, I am. I think I'm always right with my gut feelings. Like the riders that make me smile to watch, the riders that get my feet tingling, the riders that are really talented that that I just know are going to be good. I get the sense with Vlasov because 25 in football or the or American football or basketball is especially basketball is old. In cycling, that's young. That is really young. It's still considered in the youth classification for Pete's sake. He'll be fun to watch, provided Astana ride for him. It's not like they've got a ton of really good GC riders, but they can be scary on their day. I think he has the potential to come fifth to sixth in this race. Is quite realistic i haven't got him in my top five but uh on a on a good day he could come fifth or sixth it'll be interesting to see what he can do but that'll conclude those two parts as we go on to the top five on gc uh this is race at the top end of gc uh, even at the sprinting is is really really strong uh, i think there are about seven riders worthy of this list but I must condense it down to five because it's a nicer number. We prefer it. It's it's kind of a bit a little bit more controversial, so it's more fun to make. You know, you can leave out good riders uh, because you don't think they'll do well. But coming in at number five, we have Mark Soler. Now, Mark Soler has shown really good form at the start of this year. He won a dominant stage in the Tour de Hormandie not that long ago, and he placed fourth on GC after leading the race for a couple of days. Uh, uh, and actually, uh, just a separate note, the Tour de Romandie, that was a really poor decision by the UCI. Yeah, the, the UCI has been shocking this year in terms of their decision making. Like They banned the super tuck and positions like that, uh, even disqualifying really talented riders like Richard Carapaz from races because, for using that super tuck. And yet they let riders ride in the horrifying conditions that they did in the last stage of the Tour de Romandie. It was so cold that uh, Geraint Thomas trying to get out of the saddle, his hand couldn't move and he came off uphill. I seriously recommend going back and watching that stage if anybody hasn't seen it because it was just shocking that they let him race that day. They really should have called it off or postponed because it was just really, really brutal. But anyway, he picked up uh, Movistar's, I think, only two World Tour wins last year, if I'm right. And he's the sole GC leader of this Movistar team. He should have a good system around him. Movistar are good at tactics, good director sportif, really, really good riders around him. And I just enjoy watching him race. I like riders who don't really have a poker face. I like riders who just ride for the fun of it. I just love that. He, he really shows everything. He leaves everything out on the road. It's brilliant. And uh, it'll be a fantastic opportunity on a course that has potential to suit him. These kind of the off days that you don't expect a rider to attack. He's really, really good on. Like, you want to say to the world for last year, just doing exactly that. Absolutely fantastic. I want to see Mark Soler succeed. So do Movistar, despite maybe some tensions that were shown in 2019. 
it'll be really interesting to see what he does in this year's Giro. I don't think he's won a stage of the Giro in his career, if I'm, if I'm correct. I'm not 100% sure. But uh, it should be interesting to see what he does coming off the back of the Tour de Rwanda. And so, moving on to number four, we have the Portuguese rider, João Almeida. You know, I love João Almeida. He is so fun to watch. He leaves everything out on the road, and he shows every emotion. Uh, he did tail off a little at the end of last year's Giro, but granted, that was his first ever Grand Tour. But he finished fourth. And when a rider tails off and finishes fourth, you know he's got a good career ahead. Uh, he, led the, he led the majority of the race in pink. You know, pink suits him well. And a 22, 22-year-old 22 is primed to put in another great GC. Sorry, I've got the hiccups. Uh, performance with the best, uh, one of the best teams in cycling rallying around him. And if he doesn't perform, Fausto Masnada or Remco Evenpol could be a lethal second option. Some people think Remco Evenpol uh, is the option. I think João Almeida will be the option. Remco Evenpol hasn't raced in about eight months, so he won't be at peak race fitness. I don't think he'll be uh, as spectacular as everyone else seems to think he will be in this race. But Fausto Masnada has been abs on absolute flame recently, riding uh, a few days ago. I really, really like him, so I'm just trying to get up uh, Fausto Masnada's page. So, uh, Quickstep's team is absolutely locked and loaded as well. Fausto Masnada, Pierre Serri, uh, James Knox. Uh, Remy Cavagna and Ron Quentin Paul, Jarmade, they are fantastic. Fausto Masnada almost won a stage a few days ago in the Tour de Romandie, I think. I don't know if it was a race, I can't remember. I watch a lot of cycling nowadays, so it's uh, it's hard to remember the stages sometimes. But uh, on the whole, this team is fantastic, and I can't wait to see what they do in this race, and especially Portuguese rider João Almeida. So as I made clear, uh, this is a further third, but as I made clear, the race is shaping up to be a titanic duel between the two great riders and two great teams. However, sorry, another hiccup. Uh, however, that doesn't mean there aren't dark horse riders. And in fact, calling this guy a dark horse rider feels borderline disrespectful. You know, forget borderline, it is disrespectful. You know, he podiumed in last year's Vuelta. He's a, he's a pure climber, standing above six feet, very slim. He's not a powerhouse, he's a lightweight climber in a huge build, but his aggressiveness can get the better of him sometimes. He pushes too early and can be caught by riders who have better legs. You know who this kid is? Riding for EF, it's gotta be Hugh Carthy. Uh, I'm pretty sure he did most of his training uh, as a junior in Spain, but uh, he will, uh, Giro will suit him really well. I really like Hugh Carthy. I think he's primed for a really, really good GC run. And he has an outside shot at the pink jersey Milan. To, to podium at the Vuelta is very, very difficult. Granted, I say that when Ilno Zakarin did that in 2017, I want to say. But, uh, yeah, he's, it sends 100, 1.93 metres tall. That's how tall he is. He's lanky as hell. Uh, I don't think he's only ever won two GC races himself. Uh, did finish 11th in the Giro 2019, didn't ride in 2024. His form this year hasn't been blistering, but he, he's been up there. He's, do, he's been doing alright. Not really that incredible, but uh, yeah, he's been doing doing okay. Doing okay for himself, and I think 
that a podium in the Giro will put, um, come perfectly after his podium uh, in Spain last year in Madrid. So, on to the two. Now, it was very, very, very tough to separate these two riders. And as I've spoken about previously, they're both just incredible cyclists and so fun to watch. However, number two is going to Egan Bernal. He has a much better team and uh, he has more valuable domestiques, tactics and just general help. But I don't think his form will be where Simon Yates' form is. He's just been electric recently. And he's riding injured, so that'll take a bit of a toll over three weeks. But I, I really think uh, that second place is realistic for Egan Bernal. I think he has potential to either come second. He has three options, either second, first, or absolutely bottle GC. It's one, of, it's one of those three, especially with the injury. But moving on to number one, this one's pretty obvious based on who I had at two. Dan Martin. No, no, no. As much as I love Dan Martin, the Irish, he's brilliant. It's actually Simon Yates, of course. He's on incredible form on a course that has potential to suit him. I love this pick. If he stays more conservative and keeps out of the red more days uh, than he's in the red, then he's a favourite by far, like he did in the Tour of the Alps this season. He'll be absolutely fine. Personally, I'm, I'm not a betting man. I'm not against betting at all. But I just think it's far too risky in sports. And if you are betting and listening to me, don't make any bets off of what I say because I'm a 15-year-old who makes podcasts after school and at the weekends. It's, it's. Uh, I wouldn't trust me if I were you personally. But uh, yeah, if you're a betting man, I'd bet on Simon Yates because he's in the best form. Got a good rider in Mikel Nieve around him. Uh, good director sportive from Matt White. It'll be really interesting to see what he can do. And, well, that brings it to an end. I know it was quite a short one, only it should be about 22 minutes when all said and done. But I really enjoyed this episode. I've, I've, I've enjoyed waffling about cycling again, especially seeing as it's unscripted, which is a lot, lot harder to do, but it's a lot less work when at the minute I do need to do less work and focus a bit more on score because, to be quite frank, I, I didn't do quite well on my latest maths test. And why? Because I was doing some podcasting work. But uh, at least I passed... And that's all you need to know. (laughs) But uh, that'll conclude it. And for the first time in basically forever, I've done this all in one. Uh, Normally, uh, when I do episodes solo, I'll mess up halfway through and swear my head off, cut it out, and uh, re-record bits, slice them all together. But this, seeing as I'm releasing this for tomorrow morning, which is the start of the Giro, uh, it is quite short and sweet. I really, really hope you've enjoyed. Uh, I appreciate everybody who listens. It does mean a lot to me uh, that I get to do what I love doing, just waffling for fun. So thank you so much. I'll see you soon and have a wonderful day. Uh, Bye-bye.